Hi everyone, my name's Mark, I'm one of the ministers here. And a particular warm welcome if this is your first time connecting with us online, it's great to have you here. Now what we're doing this term at Inspire St James in the run-up to Christmas is taking a look at the Gospel of Matthew. Now it's a long gospel, it's 28 chapters, so we don't have time to go into detail to every chapter and verse. Instead, what we're going to do is look at some of the key themes and main passages in the gospel. So last week, um, in chapter one, we started with the genealogy um, of Jesus Christ, a bit of Matthew's gospel that people often skip over. Um, it's a little bit boring, but we saw just how important it was as Matthew is really keen right up front to establish Jesus's credentials as the son of David, the son of Abraham, the God's long promised king, who's gonna bring in blessing to the whole world. Now, in chapter four, our next passage, what we're looking at today, we come across Jesus's temptation in the wilderness. And this is Jesus's first real test as the Messiah. I don't know if you've been following the Tour de France this year, but one of the big shocks has been what's happened to Egan Bernal, uh, the defending champion of Team Ineos. Uh, coming into the Tour, he was one of the hot favourites to win it, but on the first real test, uh, a mountain stage, summit finish, stage 15, he was dropped 13 kilometres from the end, he lost 7 minutes, 20 seconds on the GC leaders, lost all hope of winning the Tour and has since abandoned the whole race. And so how is Jesus Christ going to fare in this, his first real test? Will he live up to his billing as the Messiah and saviour of the world? Will he show us what he's really made of? Or will the devil get the better of him as he has done every single human being before Jesus? Well, let's take a look at the passage now. And the three, there are three temptations. We're going to look at each of them in turn. First, the temptation not to trust God's provision. Let me read from verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now this might seem like a somewhat trivial temptation. There's nothing wrong with bread or food in and of itself. We need to eat, we're made to eat. Nor is there anything wrong with Jesus using his power to make bread. He'll do it later on with the feeding of the 5,000. So what is going on exactly in this temptation? Well, did you notice in verse one that it is the spirit who leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? In other words, God has his own purposes for Jesus through this testing and he will feed Jesus at just the right time. And so what the devil is trying to do here in this temptation is make Jesus not trust in God's provision, not trust in God's timing, but take matters into his own hands and use his own power for his own ends. And that is why Jesus responds the way he does. It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is a quote from Deuteronomy 8. 
a time in Israel's history when God was teaching his people that they could trust him to provide for all their material needs, manna from heaven, quail from heaven, just the right amount each day and twice as much on the sixth day so that they could rest on the Sabbath. And so by quoting this particular verse, Jesus is saying, look, I trust God to provide for all my physical needs at just the right time. Now, why is this temptation so significant? Well, can you think of anyone else in the Bible story who was tempted with food? Even though they had every other tree in the Garden of Eden to choose from, just one command God gave them, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or you will surely die. But the devil tempted them with this said, no, 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 don't trust in, in, in God. He will not surely die. He's holding things back for you. They succumbed to the temptation. They did not trust in God's provision of everything else. And so took matters into their own hands and ate from the tree. And death and judgment entered God's world just as God said it would. And we are still feeling the terrible consequences of that act today. We may think this is a trivial temptation. It is not. If Jesus fails here, just as Adam and Eve failed before him, the whole plan of salvation for humanity will be lost. And just think for a moment how easily you and I succumb to this temptation, be it with food. And we don't trust in God's provision and we starve ourselves, or we comfort eat, or we get greedy and, and gluttonous, or take um, other sort of physical needs. Intimacy, love, these are good things. These are things which God wants us to enjoy in the ways that he has provided in, in friendships, in family, in church family. Sexual intimacy between a man and a woman in marriage for life. And yet so often, how do we go other ways, seek intimacy and love in, in wrong ways? Don't trust in God's provision. Take matters into our own hands in the wrong way at the, the wrong time be it premarital, extramarital, pornography, and cause all sorts of damage to ourselves and others. Take, for example, the physical need for rest. So important. And yet, how many of us work too hard and end up burning out? How many of us are too lazy and don't get very much done at all? You and I know how easily we succumb to this sort of temptation, and yet, even at the best of times, and yet here is Jesus Christ. He's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Can you imagine just how hungry he is? Six weeks, I'm told, is pretty much the, the human limit, um, at which if you don't eat, you are gonna do permanent damage to your body. Devil, the devil times his attack so well when Jesus at his most vulnerable, how easy it would have been for Jesus in his humanity to succumb to this temptation. He doesn't. He trusts in God, trusts in his word. Man does not live on bread alone. I know that right now there's something even more important than what my stomach wants, and that's what God wants, so I'm going to trust him, his timing, to provide for me. And later on, by verse 11, after the three temptations, we read that the God's angels do indeed attend to him. So that's the first temptation. The temptation not to trust God's provision. The second temptation is not to trust God's care. Let me read from verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city 
and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, I don't know about you, but out of all three of the temptations, I think this one is the hardest to get your head round. Because who in their right mind is going to be tempted to throw themselves off a building? I mean, it just sounds ridiculous. But then there was this scripture in the Old Testament, Psalm 91, which said, If you trust in God, he will let no harm come to you. He will not let your foot strike a stone. He will send his angels to lift you up. So if you are the son of God, surely he is going to let no harm come to you. So let's put it to the test. Throw yourself off. Let's see if God really does care for you. But Jesus is having none of it. Quick as a flash, he quotes another scripture at the devil. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, this is precisely where the Israelites, God's chosen people, had failed. Uh, this quote comes again from Deuteronomy, this time chapter 6, when they were grumbling yet again, because this time they had no water and they thought that God did not care for them. Oh my goodness, God has brought us out of slavery in Egypt only so we can die of thirst in the wilderness. As if God's miraculous rescue out of Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, manna from heaven, quail from heaven, had not convinced them already that he does care for them and he's for them. They still doubted it and grumbled and complained and doubted God's care for them. And we may laugh at the Israelites and we may think, oh, how ridiculous. But if you think about it for a moment, are we really any different? Whenever pain, difficulty, suffering, Social ostracism comes into our life for being a Christian. Isn't our knee-jerk reaction often to doubt God's care for us? Doubt his love? Perhaps you're single right now and you're grumbling or complaining inside because God has not yet provided a spouse for you. Or perhaps you are married right now, but you're still grumbling, you're still complaining because your spouse is not everything that you had hoped for. We are so quick to doubt God's love doubt God's care, grumble, complain, and yet just look at Jesus here. There is no hesitation in his mind, no hint of him succumbing to this temptation. He refuses to put his father to the test. And even as he is betrayed by his friends, abandoned, rejected by his own people, scorned, mocked, spat upon, stripped naked and hung upon a cross to die, even as he bears his father's wrath at all of humanity's sin. He still trusts in his father's care. How easy it would have been in that moment to grumble, to complain, to doubt. He doesn't. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Total trust in the father's care to his dying breath. And through it, because of it, salvation is now available to the whole world. What a saviour we have. That Jesus Christ would do all this for us, despite all the times we don't trust in him, let God down. Well, if that's the second temptation, not to trust God's care, the third and final temptation is not to trust God's cross. Let me read 
from verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendour. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now, it seems at this point the devil just goes for broke and tries to get Jesus to bypass the cross altogether. The devil knows that one day Jesus will rule all the kingdoms of the world. He will be exalted as king. All authority in heaven and on earth will be given to him. But the path to that future is through the cross with all the pain, the suffering, the agony that comes with it. And so the devil says to Jesus, look, I'll give you an easier path, a path without pain, without difficulty, without suffering or agony. I'll give it all to you now if you just bow down and worship me. But Jesus Christ knows the path that lies before him. Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Deuteronomy again, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I was reading an article this week about how instant gratification is making us perpetually impatient. And so retailers are jumping in to same day delivery services. Uh, and smartphone apps are being designed to eliminate the wait for a, a cab or a date or a table at a restaurant. Uh, TV, uh, movies, uh, shows are being streamed to us in seconds. We now have Now TV, Amazon Prime Now, because we want everything now. And in many ways, this is to be celebrated, but the way that the devil gets us is promising us comfort now, an easy life now, no pain and suffering now, which is not the way of the cross. And yet so easily we give in to this temptation. Every time we clam up about being a Christian because we're scared of what our friends will think of us, or perhaps it will put our career in jeopardy, we are taking the easy path, comfort now, rather than the godly path. Every time we don't come to church on Sunday or make the effort to go online on Zoom for an inspired gift, just because we can't really be bothered, well, we are taking the easy path of instant gratification and not the harder path of godliness and service of others. Every time we lack self-control, give in to sinful desires, big ourselves up, put others down, bend the truth, look after number one, we are taking the easy path and not the hard path that God calls us to, the way of the cross. Now, Adam and Eve failed in this. The Israelites, God's chosen people, failed in this. You and I fail in this. The only person in the history of the human race not to fail in this is Jesus Christ. Even when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and overwhelmed in his soul to the point of sorrow, the spiritual agony that he is contemplating just moments before the cross. And even then he says to his father, my father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. That is the cup of his father's wrath. He is looking for an easier path. But straight away he says, yet not if I will, but if you will. He resists the temptation. For the easier path if God is calling him to the cross. And so he faces the cross and Jesus walks the path of pain and suffering. So that one day for all those who trust in him there will be no more pain and suffering ever again. Now do you see what makes these three temptations so significant? 
what they say about Jesus Christ. If you are someone here looking into Christian things, exploring Christian things, great to have you connect with us online. Perhaps you're wondering to yourself, you know, what makes Jesus so special, if at all? Is he any different to any other religion? Well, look, there are many answers to that question. And one of them is this. Look at his absolute moral perfection. Every other religious leader, every other secular philosopher, every human, every other human being who has ever lived succumbs to temptation. But Jesus Christ didn't. He lived the perfect life. I saw Tenet at the cinema, the latest Christopher Nolan film. I can't give the game away because, well, I don't really know what was going on in the film with people uh, moving forwards in time and people moving backwards in time and it all happening at the same time. But I tell you, I still marvelled at the film, marvelled at the way that Christopher Nolan, the director, managed to piece it perfectly all together. Now, that is just a film. Jesus' whole life was one of absolute moral perfection. Please do not pass Jesus Christ off as just another religious leader, just another prophet in a long line of prophets, just a, a good man. No, the Christian claim is that he was a perfect man, fully human, fully divine, the Son of God. Let me encourage you to look into the person of Jesus Christ more. If you are someone here who tends to view Jesus as primarily an example to follow, I hope this passage has blown that type of thinking out of the water. Do you ever think to yourself, if I had been in the Garden of Eden, I would not have eaten the fruit? Do you ever think like that? You know, if I'd been a part of, of God's people, the Israelites, I wouldn't have kept on grumbling like that. If I were there, I would not have fallen for those temptations. And of course, the answer is you would because we all do so today. Please do not use this passage primarily as an example and model of how to fight temptation. Jesus did it this way, we can do it this way. Three keys to the spiritually victorious life. No, that's not what this passage is primarily about. It is here to showcase Jesus Christ, the perfect human being and the saviour we all need. The clue is in the name Jesus. It means saviour, chapter 1, verse 21, not example. So let's repent of our self-sufficiency. Let's repent of ever thinking that we can be good enough for God. Instead, let's recognise our own sinfulness. Let's recognise humanity's sinfulness. And so let's rejoice that the saviour we all need is here. Finally, if you are someone here who's feeling pretty gloomy about the future, with discussions happening right now, about a, a second national lockdown and you know you could be thinking to yourself my goodness when is this whole COVID-19 thing going to come to an end with Brexit trade deals rumbling on with not much progress racial tensions in the US at boiling point at soaring alcohol abuse in the UK overwhelming addiction services and the sexualization of young children on Netflix's cuties and this is just the past week I hope you can see that amidst all this gloominess, there is always hope 
in Jesus Christ. Because what Jesus achieved in his life, he achieved for all of us, for all of humanity. You remember when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon? What did he say? One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Because what he did, he did for all of us. And what Jesus Christ did for us, he did for all of us too. And so whenever we succumb to temptation, there is always forgiveness if we confess our sin to him. Whenever we feel trapped, addicted, there is always power to change if we depend on him. And no matter how bad things go around us and everything seems to be going to pot, as you might be thinking right now, there is always hope in Jesus Christ. Because the righteousness that we see in his life, his absolute moral perfection, will one day, one day be seen across the whole world when he returns and in the life of all those who belong to him. So come to Jesus Christ, trust in Jesus Christ, keep looking to Jesus Christ in the week ahead. Well, let me pray that for us now. Father God, we thank you so much for the way Jesus Christ did not succumb to temptation, like Adam and Eve, like the Israelites, like every other human being before and after him. Thank you that he is the saviour we all need. So help us to come to him, to trust in him, to keep looking to him in the week ahead. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, the church family are going to lead us in a video of the Apostles' Creed, and I'd like to invite you to affirm our faith in God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit as we say these words together with them as they come up on the screen. <laughs> 